Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the last page. If you're here for the very first time, uh, you're bumping into week three of a series where we're skipping to the back of the book. We are cheating and uh, having a look and see uh, the answer to the question, how does this wrap up God? Because God has actually deliberately given us a glimpse. He's given us a picture of the future. And so we've been looking at some scriptures for the last uh, few weeks here where we are seeing, uh, moving to a moment that is going to be absolutely, uh, this, this is an overused word, but it's actually perfect. It will be epic. It will be epic. I mean, really, in the true sense of the word, where Jesus Christ is going to return uh, and make everything right again. So quick, by way of uh, summary, Jesus has kind of launched into a prolific speech, and it is just chocked full of insight and foreknowledge and foretelling and prophecy, all of which is showing us and indicating to us that God is in control. Uh, it, sometimes we wonder that, I think, but it, it really is indicating that God is truly in control. And he tells us some things that are kind of hard to swallow, but he wants you to know these things so not only that you have an awareness, but that when these things take place, that you're not shocked and alarmed. Instead, when these things take place, that your feet are firmly grounded because trouble's going to come and you're going to be like, come what may, I know who I trust in. No matter how difficult things get, uh, no matter how bad things look out there or how they might affect me or my loved ones or this place where I live and my community, I know on, on what I stand, and it is the person of Jesus Christ. And so here's just a, a real, real brief snapshot of what we looked at in the last two years, excuse me, two weeks, um, two years. It, it might feel like that. COVID, r war, rumors of war, pandemics, sickness, difficulty, all, all of these challenges. And what Jesus says is actually, that's the age that we're living in now. That's today. Don't be shocked by that. When things are actually tremendously hard, very, very difficult, don't be alarmed by that. Rather, I want you to know how to live today in this age when these things come our way. Beyond that, there's also this sense of deception and confusion and apostasy, people falling away from the faith, people increasing in hatred towards each other, and people saying, I no longer will follow God. I no longer love God. My life will not be in that direction at all. These things do not tell us that the end has come. That's it. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Rather, these things indicate to us that it is the beginning of birth pains. And that was the language that we read in the scripture two weeks ago. The beginning of birth pains. It is an indication that we are moving towards the end. Then Jesus goes further in this prolific speech, and he takes it up another notch. And you can tell the difference in the language. You think things are challenging now as we describe you know, pandemics and sickness and war and rumors of war and earthquakes and famine. You think that's hard? He then comes out with language of another notch that says, stars will fall from the sky. The, the moon will no longer give off any light. The sun will be darkened. This kind of language, really, really, the heavens will be shaken. I mean, this is like another gear entirely. And Jesus is saying, this is what's coming. This is the future. And at that time, I will come back. And I will split open the sky. And then we see this word, the rapture, where he will take those who belong to him and you will be lifted up into the heavens with him. And then he comes out with the most sort of staggering statement, the most shocking statement of all, as if all of that were not huge enough, monumental enough. And then he says this, heaven and earth will pass away. 
everything that you know, everything that is familiar to you, those things will be gone entirely. Except for one thing, my words. The words that I speak will never, ever pass away. So shocking scripture, really staggering stuff that we've been looking at. And after this sensational speech, Jesus is going to go on a little bit further. But now, he's going to tell four stories. And that's what we're going to look at right now. Perhaps he knows that what we've looked at over the last two weeks, what he just spoke in this prolific speech, was pretty sobering stuff. Very, very heavy stuff. And he maybe knows that we need to be settled a little bit. And so he moves into telling these four different stories. He gives us one statement of context for these stories. Here's what it is. It's chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 51. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah. So you also must be ready. Verse 44. So you must also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's his context. I want you to be ready. The Son of Man is coming. He's talking about his return. And when he returns, you won't be, you won't be able to predict this. You won't, you won't be expecting it, but he will be here at that time. So I want you to be ready. So I want you to listen to these four stories right now. And I'm actually going to take a few extra minutes to just read through all of these stories uh, and just let the Word of God speak into your life. But as you listen to these four stories, I want you to hear what is Jesus saying about the end times. And more specifically, I want you to see if you can pull out of this, what is God saying to me about how I'm to live my life today? Like this day, tomorrow, this week, in the light of what he's saying is coming very soon. Okay, story number one. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat with drunk and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And here's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, my goodness. Story about a servant. Given responsibility, the master goes away, but he comes back. Story number two. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they were all drowsy and feeling and, and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. All the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. A wedding, story number two. And the virgins, you could easily just uh, replace that in your mind, just sort of the wedding party. Story number three. 
Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So we've got another servant situation here. To one he gave five bags of gold, to the other two bags, to the other one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. The man who had received one bag went off. He dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Well, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. This is great. The man with two uh, bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Identical. The man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Shocking response here. His master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Do they do that anymore in banks? <laughs> We've got some bankers here. They're not going to be happy with me for saying that. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be given from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. And here it is again. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Scary last phrase right there. Oh my goodness. Okay, you still tracking with me? Three stories, one to go. Last story, number four. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the, all the angels with Him, He will sit at his, on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him. So these are the righteous people. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll look at those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat, thirsty, nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger, needing clothes or sick or in prison, and we did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Four stories. So Father, would you help us, Lord, to understand these stories that you're 
uh, putting in front of us, would you turn our hearts towards you? In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone here good at waiting? Some of us, I think, are better than others. For me, I think it depends on how busy I am or how stressed I am on a given day, how late I am sometimes. Um, I'm driving the car a little too fast. Um, optional stop signs, kind of roll signs. My patience goes down if I've got too much on my plate. I know this about myself. You're probably the same. Sometimes you meet a, a teenager. Have you ever met this teenage girl? She's, she's 13, but she, she wants to be 25. She can't wait to be 25. Sometimes you meet a 25-year-old guy, and he's starting off his career. He wants to be 35. He wants people to, to look at him a little older, a little more, take him a little more seriously. They can't wait. They can't be patient. Some of us are good at waiting. Some of us probably are grumpy waiters. Maybe you prayed a prayer, and you're like, come on, God. Why haven't you answered my prayer? And we become impatient. Jesus died on a Friday, but he promised that three days later, he would rise again. I bet you Saturday was very difficult. I bet you Saturday felt very, very long. I'm not sure that we always wait well. That's what these stories are about. We've got three or four stories here. And Jesus is talking to us about how we wait today for when he will come back tomorrow. I'm not sure that we wait well. What will your wait look like? The first story, I'm going to give you a tiny reminder by reading one small verse. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? So in those days, it was not unusual for a master who had a large house, probably a good bit of wealth. He would have many servants, but he would go off on a lengthy journey. And he would choose one of his servants and said, okay, I'm not here you're responsible. The house is in your hands. My possessions, all of these resources, all of the servants in the house, I need you to look after them, make sure they're doing their work, make sure they are content, that they're fed, that they have everything that they need. And the reason why I'm going to do this is because you are wise and faithful. These are the criteria, these are the qualifications for this value and responsibility given to the servant. You are wise and you are servant. I'm giving you significant responsibility, a very important job. You need to look after everybody and my household. Make sure they're fed. Make sure they have what they need. Make sure that the house runs properly. You are now the steward of my house in my absence. I'm going to come back, but while I'm gone, I'm trusting you. Do you hear God saying that to you? While I'm gone, I'm trusting you with responsibility. Now, why is a servant wise? I think he's wise because he knows that he has been entrusted with a task. He knows his role. He's wise because he understands that there's an obligation upon his life. There's an obligation upon our lives that our lives would count for something. He knows that his master has given him a job that is an incredibly important task. He's wise because he sees the privilege of being trusted with many blessings. He's faithful He's wise and faithful. He's faithful because he knows that what his master has asked him to do. And he says, I want to be faithful in that task. Very, very simple. So the master goes on the long journey. The steward of the house is finally in the position. Finally, the master's gone. What will he do? What's the old phrase? The cat's away. The mice will play. And that's exactly what happens. 
he shows himself not to be wise and not to be faithful. Sometimes my wife Kelly goes away. <laughs> my wife is like, my wife is extremely healthy. She's very, very healthy. And my three kids, sometimes they're at home with me and my wife is gone. Last year she had three trips for work. She was gone for a few days. She was in Chicago. And they look at me and as they're waving and she's going down the driveway, they look at me and they're already whispering, McDonald's. <laughs> Let's go to McDonald's because they're never allowed to go to McDonald's. And I'm going, get in the car. <laughs> Cat's away. The vacuum can have a little vacation, right? Things are going to be a little different around here. The house is going to be a little messy. The dishes can pile up. But in truth, I know she's coming back. And the master says, I will be coming back. The language in this text talks about it. When the master comes back, it describes the servant as a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite because the reason why he was chosen, the reason why he was entrusted with this responsibility is because outside he made some kind of profession, and so did you, and so did I. He said that he would be loyal. Have you said this about your relationship with Jesus Christ? He said that he would take responsibility of the household. He made some kind of profession that he would follow the master. The master trusted him with something very significant. But the hypocrisy of his life is that once the master was gone, he felt like, oh, I just don't know that the master's ever coming back. He's been gone for ages. And he said, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to do my own thing. This is a story about you waiting for the master to return, for Jesus to come back again. And for some of our lives, hypocrisy has elevated. He'll be back at some point. But I'm not really concerned about what I professed. I'm not really concerned about what I said, what I believed, what I meant when I said I could be trusted as a wise and faithful, devoted, loyal servant of the Master. In reality, he's gone. I know he's coming back, but he, he didn't come back yesterday or last week or last month or last year or the year before that or the last decade before that. So I don't know when he's coming back. But he will return. And here's the shocking moment in the story. The master comes back when the servant doesn't expect it. Kelly comes back two days later. Oh, no. <laughs> and we'll be caught in our hypocrisy. The things that we profess to be true, the things we said that we would do, it's the following of the master that never took place. And here's what it sounds like. One day, I'll get my act together. One day, I'll pick up my Bible. One day, there'll be time for that. I know he's coming back. One day, I'll turn the corner and I'll get serious about prayer or about being a generous person. One day I'll start to deal with that unhealthy relationship or that pornography that I go back to all the time. I know it's wrong, but, you know, he's not back today. He didn't come back yesterday. One day I'll be generous. One day I'll be the man that God has called me to be, the woman that God has called me. One day I'll deliberately disciple my children. One day I'll do what God has called me to do with this life that he's given me. One day I'll take this gift this day and I'll do what God has called me to do in this day. 
And Jesus says, if you live like that, there is a moment when I will come back and you simply will not be expecting it. And you will be caught in hypocrisy and lies and lethargy and deceit. And here's the deceit. You ready for this? It's this. That time will just go on forever. That it's just always going to be this way. And Jesus is saying, that's actually not true. I'm coming back again, and I want you to live today in the awareness that I will return. Don't push it back. Don't delay it. Don't postpone what you know in your heart of hearts that you need to be about, that God has called you to right now, today in your life. Put it right. There's an offering for you to give today. There's a song of worship for you to sing today. And for some of us, it's like, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it, I'll get around to that when it's convenient, when I'm ready. And Jesus is saying, don't do that, don't wait like that, don't fall into that trap. Story number one. Story number two. One verse. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. It's a wedding. Small village. We have a couple in our a community group that we go to, for Kelly and I, that are from the lovely continent of Africa. And they got married last year. And it's a small village. It has a few churches in the village. I don't know, maybe three, four, five, six hundred people that live in this village. And they got married last year. And the whole village came to the wedding. Like every pastor from every church. Like everybody came to the wedding. Everybody showed up. I'm like, that's fascinating. That's kind of what's going on in this story. There's nothing else going on. There's no other distractions. There's no other major event. The major event is the wedding, and everybody's going to go to the wedding. It's great. Now, for us, we have a familiarity with who's, who has the prerogative to be late to a wedding. That would be the bride, right? But in this story, in this culture, it's actually the bridegroom. It's the dude who's late. And everybody's waiting, actually, for a great moment, a wonderful moment to be celebrated when he actually shows up and the whole village is there. We have these foolish bridesmaids, and we have these wise bridesmaids. Some have brought oil, and some have not. This is a story about the five ladies, and they're unaware. They're naive. They're not prepared. Their lamps give out no light. The bride comes, the bridegroom comes for his bride. Who is the bride in this story? That would be the church. This isn't a direct illustration about your life and my life. This right here. He says, I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for all of this right here. And some of you will simply not be ready for my return. What is this story about? In the last story, a steward is caught out because Jesus comes back sooner than he expects it. In this story, people are caught out because the master comes back later than they expect. This is the context of the story. You're not going to know when I'm coming back. This is a story about people who start off well. I have met too many of these individuals over the course of my just ministry, even just my life as a Christian. People who start off well. Have you ever met them? I love this. Man, church is great. I'm going to show up. I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. I'm going to go to the Bible study. I'm going to get into a community group. I'm excited. I love this. You can count on me. I'm going to show up. And after a while, the oil starts to run out and they start to fall asleep. They're not ready. They're simply not ready. If Jesus takes longer than I expect, I just don't know that I'll be ready when he comes back. And for some of you, 
Here's the, here's the warning about how not to live your life today aware of what is going to come tomorrow. It's this. Don't fade. Don't fade. I want you to get over the finish line. And Jesus says, I don't want you to fade. Don't be that person. Don't be like that. For some of you, do you know what it'll be? Somebody offends you. Somebody says something or does something or doesn't do something, and you're like, I'm withdrawing, I'm leaving, I'm gone, I'm out of here, forget this whole thing. That's all it will take. And God wants to prepare you for that day, that you're not alarmed. What is the likelihood that somebody's going to offend you in your life? Boom! So be ready for that. Does a Christian have a right to be offended? No. A Christian has a right to forgive. Because that is how Christ has treated us. Are there offensive things out there? Absolutely. Are they right? No, they're wrong. But we don't live in offense. We live in, we live in forgiveness. Look at that guy. And look what he said to me. And look at that pastor. And he didn't notice me. And I can't believe that he did that. I can't believe that she didn't do that. I Who does he think she is? What kind of people are they in that church over there? Somebody looked at you or said something. And I'm done. And I'm not going back to that. And I don't like this anymore. Or listen to this one. I've already done my bit. Do you know how long I've been around here? I've already helped. I've already showed up. I already helped. Do you know how long I've been serving? I've been going to this church for 10 years or 20 years or 40 years. I'm done. It's someone else's turn. I did the kids. I moved the chairs. I cooked the meals. I'm done with that. I don't have to work. And then we just fade. We fade. And where there was passion and drive and enthusiasm and movement into the kingdom of God, it just fades. Don't be like that. Some of you, his return may take longer than you expect. And he says to you, knowing that, be ready when I come back. Story number three. You still tracking with me? All right, one verse from story number three. Again, it'd be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So we've got another story about a master of a household. The first story was about one servant. This story is about three servants. I actually like this story. I think it's full of blessing. The master's in going on a long journey, but I'm going to give each of you some resources. So five bags of gold Go to one of the servants. Now, I don't even think that this is necessarily singularly about money. I don't think it is. I think it can be looked at far broader than that. But this is a picture. God is blessing each of us uniquely. He's giving resources to every single one of us. The question is not how much did I get compared to somebody else. The question is, what do I do with what God has given to me? That's all I can do. What do I do with what God has given to me? While you wait... What will you do with what he has put into your hand? One guy gets five bags of gold. What will he do with what God has given to him? That is the question for every one of us. What will you do with your gifts? What will you do with your time? What will you do with your intellect? What will you do with your generosity? What will you do with your, with your words, with your voice? And the first servant says, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use every inch of it for the glory of God. I'm going to invest it as best I can. And when the master comes back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to bless you with more. That's the story for the first one. I actually love the second one because the text doesn't say, well, you had less, so I expect less of you. That's not it. The servant says, I've doubled what you've given me as well. 
He doesn't come in cowering and say, well, I didn't give you as much glory as the first servant. I'm so sorry. There's none of that. None of that language in the text. The language is actually identical. You may not be the best. There may be somebody who has more. There may be somebody who's more talented. Maybe there's somebody who's got more opportunity, whatever that looks like. But just what, is, what are you going to do with what God has given to you? And God equally celebrates and delights with what you did with what God has given to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and be a part of my happiness. Third servant gets one bag of gold. And here's the deception. Everybody thinks in the story that he's a trustworthy servant. But you have to look carefully into the story. He's not. In truth, when the master comes back, he finds out what he did. He did nothing. He did nothing with what he had for the glory of God. And look at what spews out of his mouth. I knew that you were a hard master. I know that you sow and scatter seeds in places. And he starts talking like this. He begins to describe a language that says, look, I never, I never loved you. I never thought that you were a good master. I thought I'd be in trouble. I thought you'd just punish me. In fact, all that he cares about in this story is self-preservation. That's the moral of the story. My stuff, my possessions, my rights, my money, my time, me, my happiness, my satisfaction. It's all about me. And Jesus says, you are never a part of my kingdom. You are never one of my true servants. Out you go. Wow. I don't know if these stories are settling at all. <laughs> He's given us this prolific speech that's like cold stone sobering words. And these stories are pretty hard. We're really quiet on the amens today, church. Some of you are robbed. And here's why. Because you're looking at other people. Some of you are robbed because you're comparing what you have to what someone else has. Well, if I had that voice, I'd sing like they do. If I had a house like that, if I had that kind of money, oh, I'd do things for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says it's not about how much money you have. It's about what you do with the money that you already have. It's what you do with the time that you have. What will you do with what I have entrusted to you? Last story, number four. Shepherd. It's a shepherd story. Sheep and goats. Some animals need more care than others. He talks about some on the left and some on the right. That's actually a political statement. I'm just joking. <laughs> not at all. He's saying, I'm going to separate those who are truly my followers and those who are not. Now, that may be the scariest question this morning. Is it possible that I'm talking to people here today and some of us are truly his followers and some of us are not? That is very sobering. He's looking for those who are truly his. He says, I'm going to invite you into a blessing when I come back and that blessing will be unimaginably good. What will be the criteria for receiving that? I wonder what it will be. And this is the shocking thing in the story because it's not what most people expect. Here's the criteria. If you fed me, do you remember this part that we read? If you gave me a drink, if you put clothes on my back, if you came and visited me when I was incarcerated or when I was sick. When, you, when do we do these things? Well, when you did it for the least of these, for individuals who were hurt and broken, that's as though you were doing it for me. 
it sounds a little bit like that those people who will receive this blessing, those people who truly belong to Jesus, are people who do a bunch of good things. It sounds a little bit like that's what you have to do to earn your way to heaven. Now, can I find fault with that? Yes, I can. Why? Because all over the New Testament, it so clearly states that it is by grace through faith, not by our works, so that nobody can boast. That's like rampant in the New Testament. So what are you you saying here in this story? Is Jesus disagreeing with the Bible? No. These stories are simple. They're meant to be simple. Jesus wants all of us to understand them. What is he saying? There is a blessing in looking after the person who is on the outside. The prisoner, the poor man, the damaged woman, the sick person, the broken person. Now, two weeks ago, this is the context of this. He was talking, Jesus was talking about those who would be persecuted in this time right now. Those who would follow Jesus, but authorities would come after them. And we, we just even stated, like, in this century alone, there's been more martyrs on the planet Earth for the, for the sake of the gospel than in the previous 19 centuries. That's the context of this story. Where he actually said it would be normal for followers of Jesus Christ to be persecuted and rejected. That there would be a cost to following Jesus. There's this other occasion where Jesus is surrounded by so many people and his disciples come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, your family's here. Your mom's here. Your brothers are here. And Jesus comes out with a statement that people are like, it sounds so rude. He says, who is my family? Who is my brother? It's everyone who does the will of my father, those who embrace my word. In this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's broadening his inclusion of people in his family. And it is the church. It is the church family, those who embrace his word. Those who are broken and marginalized for his sake, for the name of Jesus Christ. Those who are persecuted and damaged and broken and their lives are threatened because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who are on mission. Jesus says, they are my family. Those are the ones who belong to me. Those who have truly been marginalized in places and in countries. They're pouring themselves out for the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's going to come this knock on the door in the context of persecution and pain and difficulty. And somebody is going to come and they're going to say, excuse me, can you please let me in? Would you please hide me? Would you please feed me? Would you please care for me? In the context of the gospel. And we will say, come in. Because I see that you are a messenger of the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will visit them in prison and you will bring them food and clothes and drink and prayer and you will do that when you do it for the least of these you're doing that for Jesus Christ in that moment Jesus says I believe the message that you're preaching in that moment Jesus looks at you and says will you welcome me why because when you welcome the messenger here's what you're saying it is by grace that I have been saved through faith, not by my works, because I can't boast. When you welcome that persecuted messenger in and you feed them, clothe them, give them drink and visit them, when you do that, you are embracing the message of the gospel and you're saying, that was for me as well. I belong to Jesus Christ. He came, he took my penalty on the cross. His blood was shed on my behalf. And when you bless them and receive them, when you bring them into their home, because they preach that message, because that is the message that has transformed your life, 
changed you forever. And has set you free and it has brought you an adoption into the family of God. And now you're a child of God. And Jesus says, and when I come back again, I will see what you have done for those messengers for the sake of the message. And when I come back, I will see that and I will make note of that and I will bless you and I will welcome you into my kingdom. You're waiting for his return. And when he returns, he will separate those who are following him and those who are not. Pastor, do you really believe in this stuff? I mean, gnashing of teeth, casting them out. That's where the scripture ends. Do we really believe in hell and fire? I mean, come on, hell, for real. Well, next week, you're going to want to be here because that's all we're going to talk about next week. It's sobering stuff. And can I just say to you, if that's where you're at, with all due respect, Jesus believed in hell. In fact, we're really going to take a serious look at it. And I would encourage you to open your mind and your heart to listen to what he says about it. Because it's not a trivial thing, is it? If it's true. If it's true. It's incredibly significant. Perhaps of ultimate significance if it's true. It cannot be something that we just shrug our shoulders at and go, ah, I don't know. If Jesus believed in it with all due respect, he is the smartest, wisest person that I've ever known and ever studied. The stakes are high. Let me wrap all of this up. Track with me here. You will be shocked when he comes earlier than you expect. Don't be found in hypocrisy. Don't be caught in that. For some of you, you'll start bright, but you will not finish because he takes longer than you imagined. Don't do that. For some of you, he has trusted you with resources and stuff, and you never used what God has given you. You're caught up with something else and someone else, and you've never used what God has given you for his glory. For some of you, the idea that some would be in and some would be out scares the living daylights out of you. And maybe you think you know better, but this message of undeserved grace and undeserved love, Jesus says, if you would wait well, when I come back, I will bless your life in the most extraordinary ways. Church, the idea that your life would bring glory to God, I want that for your life. What if he came back tonight as you lay your head on the pillow? Seriously, what if he was coming back tonight as you lay your head on the pillow? What would you do with today if you knew that that's what was going to happen? What if he was coming back a decade from now? But somehow you knew that. And I know that none of us know that. But what if you knew that he was coming back 10 years from now? What would that do to your life? What would you do with those 10 years? Where would your children be? Where would your devotion be? Where would your service be? What would you have done with your life? Church, listen to me. He's coming back. Praise God. Praise God. So, Father, I pray that we would do well in the waiting. I pray this truth would cause everything to be different. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship.